leftovers. Or the DMV. Or house cleaning. Or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Long ball is going to go for a touchdown. The game's over. Webster Slaughter. Hello Cleveland, welcome to another episode of the 1085 Great Iron Podcast. I am your host, Anthony Jokey. As always, I got Jack Curry roll with me. How you doing today, Jack? Doing well, doing well. How you doing, bud? Doing good. Day off from work uh, after all that Thanksgiving rush. Uh, it's nice to have a, a day off and relax a little bit, kind of decompress and uh, get me in the mood to talk some Browns football and we're going to break down this Browns 20 to 13 loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, they jumped out, Jack, to an early 10-0 lead from uh, Austin Cyber Fugle and then a touchdown pass from Baker Mayfield to Kareem Hunt. What, how were the Browns able to jump out to such an early lead uh, in that first quarter? They were like they were doing what I thought they were going to do. I thought they were going to impose their physical will on Pittsburgh early. You know, the opening drive took like seven and a half minutes. They they drove it down the field. You know, they had a couple hiccups where at that drive they should have gotten the end zone then too. But you know, I think it was a sack. There was a couple penalties. It, it backed them up and put them in a position where they were they had to kick a field goal. And then you know Pittsburgh. They struggled offensively at the start, and then you know Pitts, Cleveland was able to capitalize. Had another long drive that took him into the second quarter, and then a perfect Texas route by Kareem Hunt, and he was able to, you know, shake off a couple defenders and get into the end zone. So you're sitting at that point. We were ten to nothing, and I thought, you know, as long as we keep imposing our physical will on Pittsburgh, and that you know they seemed vulnerable at that point, you know. Uh, Duck was, you know, trying to make a couple throws downfield. It wasn't really working. Uh, you know, they're trying to get the running game going. And I thought, you know, if they Cleveland stays this way, it plays aggressive and you know controls, you know, the line of scrimmage the way they did, they would be okay. But unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. I knew uh, I, we talked about on the pregame show that if you get into the red zone and you have to kick the field goal. It's going to backfire you later on. Um, if the Browns would have gotten seven on that drive and then, you know, still got that Kareem Hunt touchdown sit, sitting up 14 nothing, uh, would have been a, a great spot to be in. But when uh, we were up 10 nothing and Pittsburgh got those 10 points right before the half, I knew that it was not going to be in our favor the rest of the game. Um, you know, the, the momentum shifted so quickly in that last 
three and a half minutes of that first half. Jack, what went wrong in that period of time frame that pretty much, at least to me, decided the football game? Yeah, you know, right after we scored the touchdown, we go up 10 to nothing. You know, Pittsburgh got the ball and, and they started controlling the clock. They started running the ball, getting downfield. And, you know, then things started happening. You know, Richardson got marked offsides on one play. And then um, ultimately, soon after, he gets hurt. He uh, went for a tackle. I think he, I don't know if he missed or, but he slid and hit his head into one of the heaters on the Pittsburgh sideline. So then they pull him out. Then Chad Thomas got hurt as well. So then that made our defensive line even more vulnerable because Olivier Vernon was hurt too. He tweaked his knee again. So, you know, Pittsburgh took advantage. They scored a field goal. And then, you know, Cleveland got the ball back. I think it was a couple minutes left. And I think they threw it a couple times. And they didn't control the clock, much like they did the first couple drives. So it was a complete uh, 180 from what they were doing and what was working. And then it gave Pittsburgh the ball back, and they had momentum. And then I don't know if they, what, if they made adjustments or anything, but then Hodges was able to start connecting with his deep ball. And that was the one thing I said in the pregame was he can throw down the field. And – Unfortunately, our secondary was playing soft coverage, in my opinion. You know, I could be wrong when I say that, but they were playing soft coverage. And for the life of me, it, you know, whether it's Greedy Williams, Denzel Ward, or whoever, they don't turn around and look for the ball. And, you know, when they don't do that, that leaves you set up for potential pass interference penalties. And that's ultimately what happened on the one touchdown. TJ Carey didn't turn around for the ball. He was grabbing James Washington and Washington made an unbelievable catch uh, that tied the game and the momentum completely shifted towards Pittsburgh at that point. Yeah. I think that's one of the, the biggest downsides of man coverage is defensive backs have a hard time uh, locating the ball when they're in man covers because they're paying more attention to what the receiver is doing uh, versus zone covers where they can just fly to it when they see um, the ball released by the quarterback. So, uh, you know, once you get into man coverage, which is what you know Denzel does pretty well, and Greedy Williams has struggled. Um, but what do you think of the the two cornerbacks who, at, at least to me, seem to really struggle on Sunday against James Washington and the other Steelers? Yeah, I mean Denzel Ward had a bad game, and you know then you got you got, you got the people on Twitter and whoever on social media saying Ward hasn't played well all year. But before Sunday, he had the lowest completion percentage allowed against him in, the, in all of the National Football League. So while he's not getting the interceptions or anything, and he's had a couple hiccups, you know, Cortland Sutton and Denver, he had a bad play, and then he had a couple bad plays on Sunday. Ward's been playing well all year. He's playing at that Pro Bowl level. Yeah, he's missed some time with injuries, but when he's on, he's one of the best corners in the league. You know, Greedy's having his tough year, you know, he he's had struggles in coverage, struggles tackling. There's a that's why he fell out of the first round, and the Browns were able to get him in the middle of the second round. But and then you know T.J. Carey, he's too inconsistent. You know at this point, he's not in the long term plans of the Browns. I don't think. I mean, it was just you know James Washington is emerging as a potential player on that Pittsburgh offense. And last week he had a great touchdown against Cincinnati, and then he had another great one against Cleveland. He's building confidence in himself. He's emerging as one of the potential future targets for whether it's when Ben Roethlisberger comes back or whenever they get their new franchise quarterback, you're going to have a guy like Washington 
who is a speedster and has got reliable hands. He's someone that Pittsburgh could mold into their next great wide receiver. So, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, better coaching and out of the secondary. And maybe he doesn't make those catches. Maybe, you know, Ward and those guys can play better and be able to shut him down more. But it was just a matter of Washington won the battle on Sunday in that in those situations. Yeah, I think Washington is uh, going to be a really good wide receiver. He's shown he's definitely showing signs of that now. And when Juju comes back, if he's able to play at that same level uh, that he's playing at now, when Juju uh, ends up coming back for the Steelers, that's a hard duo to stop. And then you know you have James Conner whenever he's healthy. Um, you know Jalen Samuels has been pretty well has done pretty well. Uh, Benny Snell, um, you know, had a touchdown for the Steelers as well. So they have some weapons there on offense, and, you know, they've always had a a good to uh, above average offensive line. So uh, the cupboard isn't bare for them. It's just a matter of, you know, is Roethlisberger going to come back healthy or is there somebody else that's going to be starting for them next season? Uh, But they're set in in terms of playmakers, and, uh, you know, they've always had a really good defense to – go along with it Um, well and and i want to add they've always had solid coaching like there's a reason why they've only had what three coaches in the last 50 years because they pick the right coaches they pick the right assistant coaches and they're able to mold these guys and get these guys ready for any any game like that's that's the difference between the browns and the steelers like it's continuity it's culture it's coaching it's it's why they're so successful in my opinion. And, and, and to me, if you were handing out the awards right now for NFL Coach of the Year, I think it, go, it should go to Mike Tomlin. This team was 0-3. They lost Ben Roethlisberger for the season. Now they're sitting at 7-5 in control of a wild card spot and could be making the playoffs without having uh, their top quarterback for the season. No doubt. You know, Mike Tomlin, you know, there was the rumors like a month ago that, you know, he could uh, jettison for the Washington Redskins job. I think he's comfortable right where he's at in Pittsburgh. And he's definitely in the hunt for coach of the year because the way he has uh, dealt with all, you know, last year dealing with all the Bell and Brown drama and then this year with all the injuries. And like you said, he's got them in control of their own destiny with four games to go as the second wild card team, you know, as much as I hate to do it, I'll tip the cap to Mike Tomlin. He's done a hell of a coaching job this year. Yeah, he really has. Um, the Browns offensive line, you know, speaking of, of the Steelers defense, the Browns offensive line really struggled in this game. Uh, they gave up five sacks uh, to uh, the Steelers. Uh, the running game was a, we'll talk about here in a minute, but the running game, uh, wasn't that great? Uh, obviously, starting Justin McRae uh, instead of Greg Robinson at left tackle was not ideal. Uh, Jack, talk about this offensive line and how they really struggled on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it on the pregame show. You know, we knew Greg Robinson was in the concussion protocol. There, there was that outside chance he was going to play, but they ruled him out like right after we had recorded, as per typical when we record podcasts. Um, so we knew going in, Justin McCray, not the best left tackle. Chris Hubbard's been a disaster uh, pretty much his whole Browns tenure. Um, and it just spelled 
disaster for the offense. You know, they were able to mask it early on, but then, you know, Dupree and Watt and the rest of that Steelers defense just started teeing off. And, you know, you go back to what, you know, slowed the Browns momentum the end of the first half. Excuse me. Um, you know, Baker gets hit and, you know, and then he takes it, his hand hits the face mask and, you know, he stepped up in the pocket to make a throw. And ultimately I wouldn't blame that on the protection to a degree because, uh, you know, it's just a freak thing, but you know, the protection was bad all day and, you know, part of it, you know, you, you, some points you could see Baker, he didn't get the ball away. He tried to scramble, try to make a play, but you know, at times, most of the time they didn't give him enough time to throw McCray and Hubbard, you know, they are two of the poorest tackles in the NFL. They stood no chance against Dupree and Watt, and you could see it on film. It was just, and in watching the game live, it was just bad. And, you know, you underappreciate Greg Robinson because as bad as he's been at times, he is not nowhere near as bad as Justin McCray. And, you know, part of me wants to think, you know, we need a new off left tackle for sure. Maybe slide Greg Robinson over to right tackle next. If you can get him back on another one year deal, slide him over to right tackle, you know, draft the top left tackle at the top of the draft and then find a right tackle in the middle rounds and groom him behind Robinson next year. I mean, it wouldn't be a bad scenario to say the least, but yeah, he was definitely missed on Sunday. Look, look at you talking draft right now for someone who doesn't want to. The only it. time I will talk <laughs> about it right now before the season's over. <laughs> I will hold you to that. Uh, but if you go on it again, we're going to have to expand on that a little bit. Um, I, I did mention the running game, and the Browns just only ran it six times in the second half, Jack. What, what, what is going on there? I've seen this, and I know you have as well, so many times – since 99 I've you know watched mostly since 07 but anytime we get down it's like even if it's like a touchdown or a field goal it's like panic city invokes on a on the coaching staff and then they just start chucking it I can remember you know Sherber would do it with Whedon as soon as we get down touchdown he would start chucking the ball it's been that way ever since and it's like we have two of the best running backs two of the best offensive weapons in the league and you hold them to six carries in the second half. You know, you look at the the breakdown, 24 carries for 106 yards, and then we threw it 34 times. Like, we, we talked about it on the pregame. There, there's got to be a rhythm, a balance between the running and the passing game, and that's the only way that I think this offense can work. And it's like, as soon as we get down in a hole and, like, the momentum shifts, it's like, well, we just need to start throwing it. And then, like, even then that doesn't work because you're going up against the top secondary, you know, Beckham, you know, had three catches on Sunday, you know, Landry was there for the majority of the time, ran the wrong route on the last play that Joe Hayden got an interception. So, you know, the media got to have their field day with that, you know, Joe Hayden got his revenge against Cleveland, but that's a whole nother story. But it's like, why do you shy away from the running game when you have these two guys? Nick Chubb is leading the NFL in rushing right now. And if he stay, holds that spot, he's the first Browns running back since Jim Brown to lead the league in rushing. And it's like, and then you got Kareem Hunt who's balling. I just don't get it. Like, why do they keep doing this? After uh, the Browns fumbled on that 10 play drive that they had and the Steelers went down and kicked the field goal, these are the plays that they ran. Uh, with 
starting with 13 minutes and 48 seconds left, down by 10. Uh, run, pass, sack, punt, pass, 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 sack, field goal, pass, pass, sack, uh, a punt, uh, pass, 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 interception. I mean, one run and those plays with 13, almost 14 minutes left on the game clock down by 10. Yeah, I mean, after that, when Mitchell got the interception, we were down at the 30-yard line, and we, I, how much? There was seven, 18 left in the game. Why don't you run the if you if they would have ran the ball the first play, or done, I would have done what they've done so many times since Hunt came back. But I had Chubb on one side, Hunt on the other, fake it to one guy, give it to the other, run the ball, and then you go on second and short or whatever, second and five or six or something, then throw the ball. And then third down, you throw the ball again. They went pass, pass, pass. And then then Cyber did the little fake punt because they were out of field goal range. Like like I said, there's no rhythm. There's no balance in the offensive play calling. You know, I know everybody's hard on Freddie. And <clears throat> I am too to a degree. I just, it just, he needs to let Munkin have more of a say or something. And I don't, I don't know what what's going to happen down the stretch here, what goes on into next season. But sometimes I think Kitchens is in over his head, but I don't want to take the play calling completely away from him because that's why he got this job in the first place. But, you know, something's got to give on that aspect because it just seems sometimes he's way in over his head. What did you make of the decision to punt it uh, instead of attempting the field goal uh, with five and a half minutes left? Uh, on the 38-yard line. I, I, know, yes. I know it's a hard place to kick. And, it's a fi- and, 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 make, and making a 55-yard field goal in that stadium is next to impossible. But what what did you make of that decision? I mean, it's a 55-yard field goal. You miss it. Pittsburgh is at midfield or on in, the, in your territory. Or, no, actually, they would have been still. They would have been around midfield. So you're just setting them up to essentially run the clock out. You know, Benny Snell was getting into a groove there and Samuels made some plays running the ball too. I I don't fault it. And Seibert's only attempted, I think one field goal plus 50 this year. He only attempted three in college. You know, this is why I think, and they did this in camp. Why not test out Gillian's leg and do this, work this during the week 50-plus yard field goals, let him come in and kick. He's got a strong-ass leg. We all see it. Like, let him let him take the shot. You know, you make he makes the field goal. It's 20-16 to 16 with six minutes to go. Anything could have happened at that point. But, I mean, it is what it is. You know, I don't want to be sour grapes and revisionist history guy. So, I mean, I don't fault them for doing the, the fake pooch punt. And Cybert actually did pretty well, too. Got him down at the one. So, Kudos to him on that part. The Browns did get the ball back. Uh, they did force the Steelers to punt. Um, they got the ball back with a minute 45 left, and it ended, unfortunately, in a Joe hated interception. Um, you know, th- these are the kind of moments that when he signed with Pittsburgh, we feared uh, would come, and uh, he was able to seal it for the Steelers uh, on Sunday. Yeah, I mean – this is another thing like minute 45 to go. I think, I don't think we were out of timeouts at that point. You know, they, they did a pass is incomplete. 
Landry should have caught it. Uh, or no, Fitzpatrick actually tipped it. It was a nice pass by him. He could have intercepted it and taken it to the house then. Um, and then, you know, we got gifted a roughing the passer penalty. I thought Dupree had a clean hit on Baker, but the refs thought otherwise. Um, so they sat, we, we got the ball up to the 35. Uh, they did a little dump off to Kareem Hunt. And then, you know, like I said, Landry ran the wrong route and Hayden was able to pick it off. And, you know, I did not get on Twitter after that because I know the media have been like, oh, look, Joe Hayden gets his revenge against Cleveland. And, you know, as much criticism I've given Joe Hayden the last couple of years, it actually wouldn't hurt to have this version of Joe Hayden on this Browns team because there's no veteran presence with winning experience on this team, essentially. And I think Hayden would be good for guys like Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams. Although I think he's overpaid and I don't think he's worth the money that Pittsburgh gave him, but that's another conversation for another day. Yeah. You know, in that secondary, they have uh Fitzpatrick on a cheap deal for a couple of seasons. So I guess they can afford to pay uh, Hayden what they did for uh, at least a couple more years. So, but you know, you're right. You know, veteran presence on this team, I think should be part of the focus of the offseason. They've done a great job of injecting this roster with talent, but there needs to be some leadership on this team. You know, you're asking guys uh, who haven't really been called upon to be leaders before to do so. And, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, Baker or uh, Landry or Odell, you know, Odell and, and Landry came from losing situations and they, they haven't been part of that winning culture yet. And you, you need guys that have come from that to, I think, take this team to that next level that they can get to. Yeah. And I mean, and I was, and I tweeted this out Monday morning, it, the veteran leadership, like <clears throat> looking back on, you know, some of the old Browns teams, they had guys like Ben Watson, they had guys like, Andrew Hawkins, Dante Whitner, Paul Kruger, Carlos Stansby, solid veterans that came from winning organizations, winning cultures, and they were able to, you know, weather some of the storms that, you know, the same old, the old Browns of the past had to deal with. You know, they kind of masked somewhat of the Johnny Manziel and Josh Gordon stuff back in 2014, and the Browns still won despite all that. You know, that's what good veteran presence was. And I think, like, that's the one thing that analytics can't show you. And I think that was kind of the, the downside of what Sashi Brown and Paul De Podesta implemented. You know, it was good to kind of dump off everybody as they did their rebuild. But then you realize now that the Browns have one of the youngest rosters in the league, but then they have no veteran presence. And I know they have guys like Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham, Sheldon Richardson, along with guys that have been here, like Joe Schobert and Christian Kirksey. Problem is, None of those guys came from winning environments, whether they were already here or they're coming to Cleveland, you know, and that's not to say that, you know, Landry's not a good leader. I think he is. And I think Beckham can be a good leader, but they don't know how to win and they don't know how to handle winning. And I think that's one of the downsides to this to this Browns team is that, you know, while they have all the talent, they don't know how to win. They don't know how to deal with winning while they won three games in a row and it's just like the coaching staff doesn't know how to win. The organization doesn't know how to win and the players don't know how to win. And something's got to change to change that culture. And that's what like when it comes down to it on Sunday was prime example of what coaching and culture matters. 
the Steelers have it. The Browns, unfortunately, don't, and they need to find it somehow. And I don't know because we don't have the answer on how to find it, though. Do you think it – where do you think it should start? Should it start with Dorsey because he's been part of winning cultures before? Should it start with Freddie Kitchens? Where does this need to start? <clears throat> it all starts at the top. And uh, and it's – you know, the Haslam's should know because – you know, coming from the Steelers, even though they were minority owners, you would think they would have learned something on how to develop a winning culture, how to sustain a winning culture. And unfortunately, since they've taken the team over, they haven't been able to do that. They tried to do it with some continuity. But at the end of the day, if you're not winning, continuity does you no good. Like on the last couple of years, I think it's getting there. Obviously, Dorsey coming from Kansas City, you know, the Wolf and Highsmith coming from Green Bay, that's helping. But until you build a better roster with veterans to go along with the young guys and those veterans have winning experience, it's only going to get you so far. And while they've gone from 1 and 31 to 7 8 and 1 and as we stand now 5 and 7 with a chance to have a winning season, I mean it's we're getting there but we're not getting there fast enough for the fans. And I know the fans don't matter to a degree. You got to do it for the organization and for yourselves, but it's not going as fast as people want. And that's kind of the thing. Cause now people want, you know, changes to be made again, but it's like, we're going to start over again. And it's just going to be the continuous cycle that we've been on for 20 years. If the Browns get to eight and eight, there's four, four games left. Uh, they're sitting at five and seven right now. So if they go three and one in their last four games, is that enough uh, to have continuity in terms of the coaching staff going into next season? I ultimately think if they go eight and eight or nine and seven kitchens and everybody comes back, he'll probably make changes on the staff. But I just don't see how because we're going, we're technically going in the right direction, are we not, Anthony? Technically, in terms of winning percentages, yes. Yeah. So, you Kitchens comes back. He, I think Munkin Lee. Okay, because we're gonna have this discussion at some point, anyways. So he he comes back. I think Munkin leaves. So I think Kitchens then goes out. And I use air quotes when I say Kitchens because I think majority of us kind of know that Dorsey hired this coaching staff, whether people want to admit it or not. Hopefully, Kitchens goes out and gets his own offensive coordinator and some guy that'll share the same philosophies he does. Wilkes, maybe he comes back. You know, you add more talent on that side of the ball. We know his success as a defensive coordinator. You make changes on the staff, things that are going to align right to what Kitchens wants to do. Then you bring it all back and you see how it goes. But, you know, if it spirals out and they say they lose to Cincinnati, they lose to Arizona, they lose to Baltimore, then unfortunately, just because expectations were high and they failed. They'll probably make a coaching change. And then we got to do all this crap over again. Yeah. I think if the season bottoms out and they go five and 11 or six and 10, I think that uh, everything will be, I won't say everything, but I'll say that the coaching staff will be rebooted again. Um, and, and there'll be more of a, a true coaching search, I think. Uh, but uh I think that uh, they're going to at least get the seven wins. I'm pretty confident in that. Uh, 
if they go eight eight nine to seven, I'm with you. I'm pretty sure that Kitchens will be back, but there'll be changes on the staff. Uh, it, it sucks that we're having this conversation right now, but I, I think when you and I discussed three or four weeks ago that there's something that has to change. We're not sure what it is uh, on the coaching staff, but there's something that has to change moving forward. Yeah, I mean, it's and it's not just the coaching staff, and I, I was talking about this with people. John Dorsey's just as much to blame for this. And I know it's all hindsight to say, oh, well, they shouldn't have got – you could say now that they should have got rid of these guys. Look on the offensive line. And I love Odell Beckham. I don't want people to take this the wrong way. Honestly, right now, I would rather have Kevin Zeitler and Jabril Peppers in terms of the offensive line, the secondary struggling. Those guys played well. They fit everything that this organization was needed, and and it's clear. They would help this team right now currently. You know, Jabril, people could say whatever they want about Jabril Peppers. He was playing good as a safety in Greg Williams' defense. Obviously, Greg Williams left, so he was made expendable. Zeitler would help. Even though Agba's injured, he would have helped on the defensive line depth. Jannard Avery. I mean, Dorsey hasn't made all perfect moves. I mean, this past draft doesn't look all that sexy anymore. Last year's draft, outside of Baker, Denzel, and Chubb, doesn't look that good either. So it, while the coaching staff is to blame, the front office should take some heat as well. And I don't feel like they're getting as much uh, criticism. Yeah, uh, there have been a lot of questionable uh, roster moves that have been made. Um, the, the Chris Smith one uh, that we'll get into now, you know, obviously there's a terrible tragedy uh, with his girlfriend and the mother of his child uh, early on in the season. And today uh, the Browns cut him. Um, is this a, a bad look for the Browns cutting him right now? No doubt. I mean, as soon as I seen that this morning, I'm like, did they really do that? I mean, like, I, I understand people and people have been attacking me on Twitter for saying it was a bad look. Let me let me explain something to you guys. I get it was a football decision. And I use air quotes when I say that because he hasn't played well in the year or on the field this year. OK, people need to understand. Say you lost a loved one. You think you're going to go to work and put in the same effort? while you're coping with the loss of a loved one. No, you're not. Your mind's going to be focused somewhere else. Chris Smith lost his girlfriend in a car wreck that he was also in. And they had just had a newborn like a month prior to that. So you got to think his mind is focused on that girl on it, on, you know, dealing with the loss of a loved one and the fact that he has to take care of a newborn and make sure that, you know, she's protected, she's safe, everything because he's the only parent in that situation now. And it's like people are like, well, it was a football decision. He didn't do crap on the field. Think about that. Next time you guys lose a loved one, are you going to put the same effort into your job knowing that you have to deal with other things going on in your life after losing that loved one? You know, like my heart goes out to Chris. And, you know, maybe this was a mutual thing. Maybe his heart's not in football anymore and he just wants to raise his little girl. But, like, the amount of criticism that you know I took for saying it was a bad look by the organization. It was a bad look. Like put him on an exemplist, pay the rest of his contract this year, and then agree to part ways in the offseason. But don't do it in the middle of the season. That's probably been the worst year of his personal life and ultimately his football life because he's he hasn't been able to put a hundred percent on the field. I just I just don't get like some people on Twitter today 
attacking me for saying it was a bad look by the Browns. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm with you on that one, uh, especially the the effort part after uh, losing somebody. It, it definitely uh, is not the same, and uh, you know it's a very tough situation to be in. And you know I, I hope Chris uh, is able to find some work elsewhere uh, if that's what he truly wants to do still uh, and, and play football. I know he has a, a little girl to take care of, and uh, I, I hope that. At some point, he'll get uh, another position somewhere uh, and be able to uh, keep playing in the NFL. Um, it's hard to transition out of that, so I'm just going to go for it. Uh, today, Jack, uh, the Panthers fired Ron Rivera uh, as their head coach. Uh, he'd been there for, for quite a few years. Is he somebody uh, that you would inject into the Browns coaching search if – uh, the Browns decided to go that route. Well, I do think if they do fire kitchens that they should bring in a veteran head coach. And, you know, here's the thing with Ron Rivera. Um, you know, I think he's a good coach. Obviously, he's a legend on the football field for what he did with the Bears. Um, he's been good at Carolina. You know, the most winning, the winningest coach in that franchise's history. Uh, took him to the Super Bowl. You know, they've had Great seasons there under him uh, and have brought in a lot of talent. Keekley, Cam, McCaffrey, so on. Um, obviously, his time was running out. You know, the talent on that field, albeit this year, there has been a lot of injuries. Uh, you know, he, I don't think he maximized the talent there when he was there as a head coach. Uh, I would interview him, but I don't think he would ultimately be my top choice for head coach. Uh, if the Browns do make a change, um, his defense is kind of has been underachieving there the last couple of years because there's a lot of talent on that side of the ball that they've brought in. And then, like, and we talked about this. I talked about this with you off air. You know, the offense. And he's he's had Rod Chazinski there. He's had North Turner there. Now North Sun is taking over as offensive coordinator for the final four games. Do you do Browns fans want to deal with that offense again where sometimes they shied away from the running game? We're already dealing with that now. And but the bright side is I don't think Chud would come in and I don't think Norv would come in with Rivera just because uh I don't know if the Browns want to pay them again or see them in the Berea complex again. Yeah, I uh he was he's such an interesting candidate based on, you know, the what he's been able to do for that Panthers franchise while also underachieving in some years. But, you know, he's absolutely a, a veteran NFL head coach. Now, if um, he doesn't get the a head coaching job, which I'm sure he will, but adding him to the defensive staff to where uh, he's worked with Steve Wilkes before, um, I don't know how much of a possibility that would be, but, you know, that could – inject some life into that defense a little bit. Uh, but uh, he is such an interesting candidate based on the fact that he, he's won a lot, but he's also underachieved a lot. Uh, what are you really getting uh, in, in terms of Ron Rivera? He is a great leader. Uh, I think you've seen that while he was with the Panthers. So it, 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 he's a very interesting person. Uh, who would definitely be considered if the Browns do have a head coaching uh, vacancy in the near future. 
Yeah, I mean, look at it now. I mean, if he wants to coach again, um, I don't know if the Browns would be his top choice. I just think like the the New York Giants make the most sense. They always get a they always get a veteran head coach for the most part. You know, they they went with Ben McAdoo a couple years ago that didn't work out. Uh, obviously, they're on their on Pat Shermer's second go around as a head coach. Clearly, not working out. Shermer's not cut out to be a head coach. I could see Ron Rivera and obviously Dave Gettleman and him worked together in Carolina a few years ago. So they had that uh, connection there. I could see him going there. I mean, maybe Dallas. Do they go veteran head coach or do they go for an offensive guru to match up with Dak and Zeke? Um, Washington doesn't make sense. I don't know if Rivera would want to deal with Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen. I'm sure more teams are obviously going to be making coaching changes. So uh, I definitely think Rivera will be at the the top of many teams' uh, lists. When you look at the other teams uh, that might be making coaching changes, who, who else do you see? Hold on one second. I need to pull up a list because I'm like I'm drawing blanks right now. Uh, obviously, Jacksonville comes to mind right away. Um, I don't think Denver will make a change. I don't think the Chargers would make a change. Obviously, the Giants, um, Detroit maybe, although you know injuries have taken a toll on that team. Atlanta obviously is going to make a change. How about the Jets? I would think, but their owner already said they're not going to make changes, so I, I think but, they go another year, Adam Gase. So. But it's the Jets, so you never really truly know. Yeah, right. Um, other than that, like obviously the Cowboys, uh, we all know unless they pull a miraculous uh, turnaround and win the Super Bowl somehow, which the fact that they're 6-6 six and six with the talent they have baffles me, and Jason Garrett should be fired at this point. Um but he's he's gonna go the Bears maybe although Matt Nagy you know he's done all he could with Trubisky I mean barring a turnaround at the end of this season you think they're in the market for a quarterback this offseason um, yeah Tampa's not making a change and everybody else is pretty much unless you know does Philly if they've continue to derail their season is Doug Peterson on the hot seat I would think so they've lost three in a row so it's gonna be interesting there's always a surprise team that makes a change so I'll be interesting to see what that team's gonna be it, you know Atlanta's been rumored about firing Dan Quinn for a while now uh, yeah that one's coming for sure um so you know the, there's there, every year there's what five six head coaching changes sometimes a, a couple more than that so um, and there's already two openings yeah there's already two so there's obviously more coming uh we'll see how uh it turns out for the rest of the season jack anything else before we get out of here no sir all right uh you guys can follow jack on twitter at jay mccurry cle follow me on twitter at anti jokey sure to follow the podcast podcast page and our website page at the dogland uh you can visit the website at www.dog.land or the dogland.com uh, you can find our podcast on every platform you can think of, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. With all that, we're going to get out of here. We'll be back later on this week to preview the Browns and the Cincinnati Bengals. And most importantly, as we get out of here, go Browns. Leftovers or the DMV or house cleaning. 
Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. T plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.